0: Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 13, titled The Struggle of Salvation, part 2. We're in Luke chapter 13, working our way through the book of Luke. Taking forever because y'all were so slow to listen, that's what it really is. Now, just like we're doing today, we're in the same passage we were last week because there's just too much. I mean, you can't we can't just rifle through this as if uh, it's... Uh, not worth our time, you know. It's just simple concepts, and even though the Bible, in some ways, is very simple, in other ways, is extremely profound. And so, Luke chapter 13, we're in verses 22 through 30 again, and we're going to be in those verses uh, whenever whenever you get there. We're going to start reading. Jesus, as we saw last time, makes one of the most um, one of the saddest statements, one of the most startling statements, one of the scariest statements. However, whatever descriptive we want to give it, it's bad. That is made in the entire Bible. Certainly, that he ever makes, because he describes something here that may be totally contrary to what we thought, how we thought things were going to work. He's going to tell us that uh, there's not going to be near as many in heaven, if we could say that, near as many in heaven as there are going to be in hell. And we have, uh, we contradict that maybe in our thinking. You know, God, who can save? Certainly, He can save all those. Yes, He will, but He will not go past our our choice. We do have a choice. Certainly, God is sovereign. But he sovereignly chose to determine heaven and hell based upon our decisions. If you don't want to go, yeah, he won't make you. As sad as he'll be about that. So he makes a statement here qualifying that here in verses uh, 22 and following. He was passing through one city, it says, and a village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone just said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are going to be saved? That's an odd question unless you know the circumstances. Jesus has now almost been three full years teaching and preaching the truth. Teaching and preaching that they need to have repentance towards God and faith in God's Son. Teaching about the need for salvation. You need to be saved. Be saved from this wicked generation. Be rescued. Teaching the kingdom of God constantly. And yet, as, as, as correctly observed by one of his disciples here, people aren't believing him. And how do we know? They're not acting on it. They still want Jesus to be the Savior that they want him to be. You're here to rescue us from the Romans. You're here to relieve us from our oppression. In other words, the, the isn't it the epitome of arrogance for us to make Jesus be what we want him to be? Salvation's going to be like this. Heaven's going to be like this. You're going to do it our way. I mean, effectively, that's what we're saying. If If we're coming at it like that, that's exactly what they were doing. And his disciples are now, he's been telling them this, there's not going to be many who are truly saved. Not going to be many. And so now they're realizing, hey, remember what you said? Is that really true? Jesus, notice, he qualifies it here. Lord, not only few going to be saved? Jesus says, strive, verse 24, to enter by the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter it and will not be able. That's a sad statement. Many, we saw last time, it not the only time Jesus says this. In fact, the ratio is always many to few. Many who don't make it to, as opposed to a few who do. Now, like I said, we have the opposite idea of what heaven's and hell is gonna be like. There's gonna be many there and very few in hell. Uh, you didn't get that from the Bible. You certainly didn't get that from Jesus. Again, there has to be a standard for what we believe, there has to be a standard of truth. It's not subjective, it's objective, and here it is. It's in the Scriptures. This is what Jesus says. We have to take it at face value, and at face value and any other value, it is disturbing, very much so. Jesus says some things here that we didn't expect that he would say. The ratio, like I said, is always many to few. Jesus says there will be many who plan to go, many who want to go. Do you plan to go to heaven? What's your plan? Can we confidently say that if your plan disagrees with God's plan? That you're not going? or Isn't it the epitome of arrogance to say, I'm going to go my way? Yeah, well, God is not obligated, nor will he keep your way. It's going to be his way, or it's not going to be any way. So it would be a good idea for us, me and you, to listen to what he has to say. They, they, they planned to go. They wanted to go. They even strove to go. But they're not going to go. And he goes on to illustrate this in verse 25. Is describing this house owner who's shutting the door. God owns the house of heaven. He doesn't have to open the gate for anybody. He, he did, out of graciousness, he sent his son Jesus so that there would be a way for us to go to heaven to be forgiven of our sins. But he doesn't owe that to us. God doesn't owe us heaven. God is allowing us to go to heaven. But by the way, if he opens that door, he, of course, can shut that door for any reason. He doesn't have to have doesn't have to come to you and say, hey, what do you think? You know, what do you think about this? Me and me and the Son and the Holy Spirit are discussing shutting the door to heaven, and we just want, need your approval for that. No. No, definitely not. Here, here's the story: gives this illustration. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside, knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us to people expected to be in there. What happened? He will answer and say, I do not know where you're from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank with you in your presence and you taught in our streets. So these are not enemies of Jesus. These are companions of Jesus. They're not atheists. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing and teeth there when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you're yourselves being cast out. Notice, they're going to see this. It's one of the many places that I would refer to uh, and the reason why I hold this position. I think hell's going to be just as informed as heaven. You're not going to be in oblivion in hell and well-informed in heaven. Be just as informed in hell as you are in heaven. In fact, part of what's going to make it hell is that you're going to know that you didn't make it. You're going to know who did. Notice, they they see, notice, they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the fathers of the Jews, right? And all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves, pay attention to this word, cast out. And they will come from east and west, talking about Gentiles and others, from north and south, and recline at the table the kingdom of God. You're going to see all this, but you yourself won't be a part of it. That's sad. Behold, some who are last will be first and Some who first will be last. There'll be some who there you'll say, you know, I think heaven and hell are going to both be like this. Heaven's going to be a place where you're going to say, what's he doing here? By the way, they said that when you came in. (laughs) We didn't think he would make it. I think there's going to be a lot of that said, or at least thought. There's going to be a lot of also, why isn't she here? Because notice the ratio is many to few. Many who planned to go, wanted to go, strove. To go, Jesus says, will not make it because they do not come through the way that God has planned. So you have a plan of salvation, something you think you need to be saved from. Again, if, you, if our idea of what we're being saved from disagrees with what God says, then we're not being saved. Well, God's came to save me from a hard life and from, from a difficulty and from financial problems and all this stuff. Where does it say that in the Scriptures? Kind of, the Bible says He came to save you from Himself, from having to judge you for your sins. So if you haven't been saved from that, you're not saved. He's not obligated to keep your rules for what salvation is, not your heaven anyway. It's not your eternal life. Salvation, he says, is a fight. These are not, as described here, the people that are standing outside, they're not God-haters. It's not, not those, those, that group of people is not even in discussion here. They're not atheists. They're, they're, these, they're the people who knew Jesus, who hung out with Him, who... Planned and expected to go, but Jesus says, ah, the door was shut and you didn't come through. So it didn't matter, their relationship to him in that sense, it didn't matter. Because they had never come through the way they were supposed to go. Jesus said, many will lose the fight of salvation and will not be saved. Salvation, first of all, let's be clear on this, because again, what's our standard? Standard is the Word of God. You don't come up with a standard. We don't collectively come up with a standard. The standard is the Scriptures. We constantly are weighing what we believe what we've been taught, what our society pushes on us, it all comes back to the scriptures. If it disagrees with the scriptures, it's done. If what I say, if what I think, if what I believe, if what my mama told me was true disagrees with what the Bible says, I will change by the God's grace and the strength of his holy spirit. So 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 we constantly bring about the scriptures. And here's what Jesus says about salvation. It is a fight. It is a fight. Again, we we talked about last time. How much of what Jesus says Constantly in the New Testament, you never hear from our pulpits. Repentance, salvation is a fight. Where do you hear that? You can't hardly get that off of any television preacher program. What what kind of fight is there? Or either A, they're right about salvation and Jesus is wrong, or B, they're wrong and Jesus is right. What is going to be your standard of truth? I can tell you where mine is. Jesus says salvation is a fight. The word in Greek is literally agonizomai. We get our English word, to agonize. There is an agonizing, striving involved in coming to Christ. Now hear me, not a work salvation. This is to get to the place where you can trust Christ. There is a great agony involved in it. And to teach anything other than that, again, is to teach something that's different than what the New Testament says. And then you know, Katie, barred the door. Once we open that up, Jesus uses this word in case you not in case you think he doesn't know Greek, he does. Here he, he uses this word in a different in a different setting, but in the same way. My kingdom, in this case, speaking to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. There's the word agonizomai, fighting, striving. It's painful. The, the what is it? The what was it? CBS. Sports, something, and ag- the agony of defeat. I, I should have thought of that. You know what I'm talking about, though. He's got a guy wrecking coming down this slope, you know, and his goggles are flying off. It, well, it looks pretty much like an agony to me. That's the word. It's not fun. Oh, I just went through, I had a great day of agony today. Yeah, hmm. No, agony is painful. Agony is difficult. This is what Jesus says happens to us when we come to christ something very painful has to take place in our lives and in fact it is in every way that describe it this word describes in the new testament otherwise as hand-to-hand combat a physical exertion uh, of course an intense struggle as jesus uses it here in this context it's a far cry from all you have to do to come to jesus is just repeat these words you don't find that in the new testament it's agony it's striving it's stressful. It's hard. Is, is faith in Christ easy? Yes, absolutely. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. But to get to that place, ladies and gentlemen, is really hard. To truly come to Christ, it really is. Again, how do we know that? Because Jesus describes it that way. Salvation is a fight. Salvation is a fight, number two, for the truth. And We're having a real struggle in our culture of what truth is. What is truth anymore? Because we have this phrase that we've coined, and it's been um, highlighted by individuals like, for instance, in this case, Oprah Winfrey's Lifetime Achievement Award acceptance speech in 2018 Golden Globes. Here's what she says. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Now, that sounds really nice. Sounds really good. But you don't see in there the problem. Sounds like it's really a nice thing. It's very appealing to us, but, but here's the issue. These two words, your truth, are so entrenched in our lexicon today that we hardly recognize them as the incoherent nightmare that they actually are, and that's what they are. So your truth, is there, if there's such a thing, means that I wake up today in a different mood, and so because I want a younger woman in my life, I leave my wife because that's my truth, and I go find someone younger. Is that Okay. It's my truth. You wake up one day mad at the world, and so you get yourself a gun and go down to a crowded area and start shooting a bunch of people because that's your truth. Again, if you're going to start talking nonsense, you're going to have to deal with the nonsense. There is no such thing as your truth. And if there is, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we are headed toward, we already are, in massive chaos. Because you have a truth and I have a truth. Here's how your truth and my truth work out. Here's a writer commenting on this. He says it's a philosophy that can destroy entire societies because invariably one person's truth will go to battle with another person's truth. And devoid of reason, the only solution is that power decides who wins. That's where we are. Kill or be killed. Survival of the fittest. There is no objective truth. So, there's nothing to say you're wrong or I'm wrong. It's just a matter of who's got the bigger gun. That's where we are. Truth is not hard, it's very simple. Here is truth for you if I get one egg and I add to it one more egg, how many eggs do I have? Two, that's the truth. Doesn't matter what culture you're in, doesn't matter what language, doesn't matter what year doesn't matter what what, uh, society or anything. It doesn't matter if we all get together and vote and say, no, it's actually three eggs. No, if you take one egg and only add one more egg to it, you will never have more than two eggs. That's the maximum. You could break one of them and have your back down to one, but you can never have more than two. One plus one always equals two, but if your truth says one plus one equals three eggs, guess what? Here's what I know about math. I'm not a good mathematician, but I will tell you this. If you can't get one plus one white, no other math is going to work for you. It all unravels. I don't care what degree you have. I don't care what higher math you're involved in. If you cannot get one plus one right, nothing else will work. Because we have a society that says we have our own truth, nothing else is going to work. It all unravels because there is no basis. There is no line. There is is no no foundation. And because we've blessed this foundation, now we're into my truth and your truth, and I'm telling you, it all unravels. So a battle, it's not just a battle. Salvation isn't just a battle in itself. It's also a battle just to get to the, can we just get to the concept of what truth is? It's not what you say it is. It's not what I say it is. It's not what we collectively vote it is. It is something outside of us. You can't change one egg plus one egg. That is totally outside of our control. It just is what it is. That's what truth is. Out of our control. It is what it is. Salvation is a fight for the truth. Salvation is a fight to get the truth out. Notice the the, the words that Paul uses here in 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy as he describes the the work that he did as an evangelist reaching the world for Christ. Notice, I have fought the good fight. It's the same word, agonizomai. Because that's what it is. If you're going to say there is no your truth, you're going to have a problem in this world. It's going to be a fight for you to say there is only the truth and no anybody's truth. You're going to have problems. You're going to have a hard time getting voted in if you're running for office. Have a hard time keeping your position as a teacher, and I should say, unfortunately, as a preacher even. Not hard to grow a church where you say everybody's got their own truth. We don't have to go about Jesus says. I have fought the good fight because that's what it is. Again, he says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy, encouraging him, fight the good fight of faith because that's what it is. You live in a world that's completely anti-truth, ran by a devil who's anti-truth. It's not going to be easy to do the right thing. And if what you're doing is easy, it probably ain't right. Probably not. Probably not. The world says, oh, he's a great guy. He does the, he We love what he's got to say. Oh, wow. What a commentary. Something needs to change. Salvation is a fight to get the truth out. And the reason is because of what Jesus said, if you remember our study back in Luke chapter 12 a couple of months ago. So Jesus has thousands upon thousands just thronging him, stepping on each other. Is this opportunity he's going to take to say the most important things first. In fact, that's exactly the way it's qualified. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, hear what Jesus is saying. The greatest existential threat on the planet is false teaching. We don't have any Pharisees today. I don't know when the next last time you had a Pharisee come to your door, try to sell you a Bible or anything like that, invite you to a synagogue. They don't exist anymore. They've ceased to be. It's not them, but it is the the leaven, the teachings the influence of false teaching, very powerful. The greatest existential threat on the planet today is false teaching. What is that? Anti-truth. Here's the truth in the scriptures. And anyone who teaches opposite of that does not teach truth. The world, listen, is under the power, by the billions are under the power of that. Think about the false religions of the world today. Not just a million of them. A million people involved. There's a billion involved in individual, each one of them, Islam, uh, 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 Hinduism. Uh, you name, name these. There are huge numbers of people, massive. The devil is controlling the world through false teaching, not drugs and alcohol or whatever else we think is the big problem. That's not the problem. Jesus, again, if, he if Jesus would have thought that was a problem, he would have addressed it. The first thing he tells them is, be careful of this leaven. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, once you get leaven in bread, what do you do with it? Not much soon as leaven gets in, in a lump of dough, it's, you have a hard time extracting it. There may be some chemical process. I don't really know. But once it's in there, it's in there. The same is true with false teaching and false doctrine. Once it gets in there, it's tough to get out. You've dealt with people who think, think wrong. How do you help them think right? By the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. Here, here's Jesus pulling people out of false teaching. Of course, the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees was all they ever knew. And is Jesus not pulling these guys out? certainly is. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying, if you're not on your knees about these people who are are duped into false teaching, you're in the wrong place. You're not going to have a smarter conversation with them. The confusion, they don't even know what the truth is. So you're arguing truth with them, and they're, you know, like I said, their math isn't working. One plus one equals four for them. So you can't even get to the basis of what you're talking about, extrapolated math, if you will, and they can't even get one plus one right. God's got to intervene in their lives. You've got to be on your knees for people who have been invaded, if you will, uh, with the leaven of false teaching. And, and let me just also say this with regards to false teaching and, and, and the truth. Because we're, we're all in here, everybody's got a Bible, right? On your phone or somewhere. Got a Bible, preaching from the Bible. But let me say this to you carefully. Just because you have a Bible doesn't mean you have the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, 100% truthful. But because you own one, does it mean that you yourself are in the truth? I say that because the guys who killed Jesus had an accurate Bible. Misinterpreted. But it's the same, the, the Pharisees' Bible, the Masoretic text that your Old Testament was translated in English off of, is, it's the exact same one you've got, that teaches about Jesus, that teaches about the coming Messiah, that Jesus referred to throughout his, his entire testimony, talking about how it was legit, his, his, whole, his whole life was legitimized by what the, te- the teaching of the Old Testament taught. And the Pharisees interpreted it differently. So hear me. Just because you have a Bible doesn't mean you have the truth. It has to be correctly interpreted. Correctly interpreted. Let me give you an illustration. i I'll us say I write you a letter because... I got a bunch of money, and I'm passing away. And, uh, and this is Mickey, how we're going to pay for the church, by the way. I'm going to leave the church all my riches. But you're going to have to follow my, Mickey's our chairman of deacons back here. You're going to have to follow my instructions. And my instructions go like this. All my riches are buried in a treasure chest in the middle of a field, but you've got to go find this particular tree, and there's no way you can miss it. It's the only tree that's ever been out there. You go to that tree, and my instructions say very clearly you have to turn south and walk 200 feet in the direction of a large rock, and exactly at 200 feet dig down and pay for the whole new sanctuary. Isn't that great? Everybody say, thank you, Pastor Bill. (laughs) (laughs) So I write you this letter, and Mickey and the deacons take it, and they bring it in front of the church, and they say, Pastor Bill's letter says that when we get to this tree, we're to turn south. And uh, walk 200 feet, and we're going to find his treasure. But we believe what he really meant was that you turn north and walk 200 feet. Now, are you ever going to find my treasure? Not unless you go by what I say. See, it's not like you don't have the truth of where the treasure is, you have the wrong interpretation of the truth. Again, hear me. Just because you got a Bible doesn't mean that your interpretation of it is necessarily true that's why again back to on our knees who is the teacher in the scriptures not pastor bill i'm not setting you up for join my cult i'm going to interpret the bible for you correctly by god's grace hopefully i do but the bible says that the spirit of god interprets the word of god and you need to be back on your knees you're praying for the truth to get into other people what about your own life god help me to understand this correctly god help me not to misinterpret it, your truth because if you misinterpret your truth what have you got Well, something that ain't true. You're going to base your life on something that isn't true? People do it all the time. All the time. Salvation is a struggle, it is a fight for the truth. Ultimately, though, it is a fight to let the truth in. It's a fight to get the truth, get to the truth. It's a fight to let the truth out. And it's a fight, ultimately, to get the truth in. How do you get the truth inside of somebody? Good luck with that. Good luck. I'm telling you, you're going to have a rational conversation with somebody who is not thinking truthfully. I'm telling you. you, you you're ha- I'm not saying you don't have a conversation with them, but unless you're dependent upon God, you will not get through to that person. We talked last time, last week, about that, the, the, a drowning person. Let's say, let's say as an example, we have a person that's drowning out here on the beach, but he doesn't believe that he's drowning. What can you do for a person like that? He needs to be saved, right? We use that word. He needs to be rescued, right? But he thinks it's not the... His his problem, of course, is that he can't breathe water. That's his problem. You know that. I know that. But he doesn't know it. He thinks that he needs to be saved from poor financial decisions. Now, is it better to have good finances or bad finances? It's better to have good. But his problem is he's drowning, so he fix his finances because that's what he thinks he needs to be saved from. And so now he's got good finances, but he's still drowning. That doesn't work, and so he goes to self-image. He needs a better self-image. If he would just be rescued from this poor self-image and, 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 and start having positive feelings about himself, and so that's what he does. He, he, he starts thinking positively about himself and starts having a better self-image. So now we've got a guy who's still drowning has a high self-esteem. If that's what we preach to him, what have we done for him? Absolutely nothing. He needs purpose, right? If we just give people purpose, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to save us from our lack of purpose. That's ridiculous. But, that's what's being taught in our pulpits today. So we got a guy out there who's drowning, but he's got purpose. What have we done for him? Not helped him because the thing that's killing him is none of those things. The thing that's killed him is that he can't breathe water. He's struggling after so many things that won't matter. And his biggest fight is just to simply say that what he's struggling after is completely wrong. That's the fight, ladies and gentlemen. The fight that you're dealing with to get a lost person saved is to get them to say that they're completely wrong. That's near impossible. That's where they've got to get to. I was wrong about my life, I was wrong about what saved me, I was wrong about heaven, I was wrong about God. That's called repentance, by the way. See, see I, I can't continue to hold on to what I thought was life and get the life that Jesus has for me. i got to let go of one to get to the other. And if I'm holding on to one, then guess what? I'm, by definition, not holding on to the other. It is a fight just say you're wrong. How hard can that be? Well, it can be very hard. In some cases, eternally hard for people. just simply can't say it. Many, Jesus says, we'll fight this fight and we'll lose it. Here's another description that Jesus gives us back in Luke chapter 9. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. So I'm swimming after all kinds of stuff. I, I'm going after high self-esteem and high finances, and I'm going after feeling good about myself, and that's what I'm doing that's going to save me. Yep, that's your life. That's your decisions, your prerogative. You decide you're going to have lordship over your life, and you can do that, and you will lose it. But whoever wants to say loses his life for my sake, you just totally let it go. That stuff. Whatever I thought was right for me, the directions I thought were right for me, I reject those things because I want the life that Jesus has. That's called repentance. This is the one who will save it. For what good does it do for a person if he gains the whole as if that were possible? So you're just striving after stuff. I just need one more thing. I just need one more thing to be fulfilled and worked out in my life. I'm going to be fine. And Jesus, by the way, is supposed to supply that. So not only do we decide what salvation is for ourselves, Totally blasphemous. We also decide what the Savior's going to be. I get to decide what salvation is. I can decide how I'll go to heaven. And I can decide what Jesus is going to save me from. And if he doesn't do that, well then, hmm, well, you can do that. What good does it do if a person gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? Good question. He finds all he's looking for in the sea of life. He's rich, he's self fulfilled, he has a legacy. He's chosen those things over surrendering himself to the Savior. You can do that. Not recommend it. His finances and personal feelings are not the real problem. The problem, again, is that he can't breathe water. Needs to be saved. Needs to be saved. We have to let go of what we thought was life in order to accept the life that Jesus has for us. Have you done that? Have you done that? Again, we we have done a disservice to our world when we say, all you got to do is just pray this prayer. No. Yeah, there's a prayer involved, I'm sure. But, but have you repented of your life? Have you let go of what, what, what you thought was going to save you? Because I'm telling you, Jesus won't work as a spare tire. you got all these other things you're riding on, and you got Jesus also in case that stuff doesn't work out. That's not salvation. Salvation is i got one that I'm riding on, and that is Jesus. Have you done that? And this is a battle. It's a battle within us. You have to fight and defeat your pride, your self-righteousness, your love of sinful living, your desire to control your life. You've got to repent of these things in order to come to Christ. We, we want a Jesus. This is the Jesus that people want. They want the Jesus that just comes along with them. I've already got a decision I've made. And I'm going this direction. Now, Jesus, I just need you to Jesus, you know, the co-pilot. Jesus is my co-pilot kind of thing <sighs> on that. Really? So the Son of God came and hung himself on a cross to rescue you from, so that he could just be right along there with you and make you feel good about yourself. Wrong! No! Definitely... Not the Jews of Jesus' day wanted Jesus to save them. That's what he's describing here. Did we not walk with you? Did we not eat with you? Did we not converse with you in the streets? They wanted Jesus to save them, but according to their terms. We want the Romans gone. We want our oppression gone. We we want our dignity back. We want this this racism that we are every day experiencing. We want it taken care of. These are the things we want to be saved from, Jesus. Jesus said, I'm not here to save you from those things. So if he saved them from all those things, but they still died and went to hell, what good would he have done for them, right? That's why the disciple says, is it really true that not many are going to be saved? They're not listening to him. Many today are disillusioned with Jesus for the same reasons, and I hear this all the time. I tried Jesus, the Jesus thing, and it didn't work. Because why? Because Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. And I can tell you for sure, if that's what you want from Jesus, you might as well go somewhere else. You will not do that. Jesus comes to bring you what you really need. You don't need your finances fixed, even though that'd be nice. You don't need your self esteem brought up, even though that'd be cool. You need to be rescued from hell. How could He do anything less if that's really the issue? Certainly it is. And we sell, what sells is the Jesus who will let you do whatever you want to and fulfill all your dreams, and you still get to be Lord, and then at the end, He still lets you go to heaven. That sells. That's what grows big, big churches that have absolutely no influence and no effect on our culture whatsoever. Massive churches. I know I say this all the time and y'all are sick of it. You can turn me off right now. I'll turn it back on in just a second. We've got huge churches that have no moral influence on our culture. The biggest churches we've ever had in the history of the Western world. And yet our, our culture morally is in the toilet. Where, where, where's the influence of God's saints? Unless they ain't Saints begs the question the wrong road listen is not marked hell it's marked heaven the wrong door which is very wide is not martel it is marked heaven it is easy to go through it it's easy to think it doesn't require you to repent it doesn't require you to lay down your own will it doesn't require you to change your life that jesus people love but i'm telling you i i've got a name for him his name is the death of Jesus, because that's what he's doing, killing people. That's not a Bible Jesus. That's not a Savior who's pulling you out of the water. That's a lead weight around your leg dragging you to the bottom. You will not live. He will guarantee it. He's got another name in the Bible. I think it's Satan. Yeah, I do believe. The death Jesus, you're drowning, but he doesn't point that out. He just goes right along with whatever you think you are supposed to do, swimming along after your fulfillment. You want fulfillment? Sure, I'll give you that. You want happiness? I'll give you that. You want good feelings? I'll give you that. All the while, you can't breathe water. That's your real problem. He won't tell you that. Jesus didn't come to save you from bad feelings. He came to save you from an eternity, paying for your own sins in hell. He came, as we said earlier, he came to save you from himself from what he's going to have to do for those who've broken his laws and step out of this life, having not accepted him. It's a sad statement that Jesus makes here. He says, yes, I tell you, strive to enter the narrow way, for many, I tell you, will seek and enter to enter and will not be able. Notice what it says down here in verse 28. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. with the I don't know if you say it the East Texas, we say it all the time, we say about all politicians, I wouldn't trust him any further than I could throw him. Because why? Because you're too big to throw, right? On the other hand, if God throws you, how far? How far? So so let me give you a descriptive here. Since he's infinite, infinitely away. Since so he's omnipotent, omnipotently so, since he's perfect, perfectly far, what is hell going to be? Hell is going to be a place where God is not forever away, forever. That is what's coming. Why is he so desperate to preach and get through us to the truth? Because he knows, you see. Why hang himself on a cross and go through all these horrible stuff except for the fact that he's rescuing you for something even worse than that? Contemplate what God has done for us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has said for us. Have you been saved? Have you? Jesus is not obligated to keep your definition of what salvation is. There's nothing wrong with asking Jesus to help you with your finances or with your feelings of self-doubt and struggles and difficulties, I, I believe Jesus is available for those things. That's ultimately not why He came. He came to save you from something far worse, lasting much longer than this life, lasting much longer than an infinite number of lives. He came to save you from Himself and what He's going to have to do for those who do not come to Him for salvation. It's a fight. It really is. To say that you were wrong about what saves you, what you need to be saved from, it's a fight. It's hard to fight your own pride and say, I was wrong about all this stuff. I was wrong about my decisions, and I was wrong about the direction I went, and I'm completely unconditionally surrendering myself to God. That's hard. But God can give you the power to do it. God, I thank you that you are the Savior. And as the Savior, you're providing the means of salvation. You're not just preaching the truth to us. You're also working the truth in our lives. Lord, I thank you for working that truth in my life. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what the truth was. But you came to me, and you made it clear to me. And I know you can do that for each one of the per- people here. I pray for the person here who hasn't truly accepted you, truly come to the place to surrender. I pray that she would, he would do that today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is the truth. We want your truth to be exalted. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.